Well, last week, um, we talked about the design that we have for community. And if you were here last week, um, you, you suffered through the paparazzi taking your picture. And um, thank you for that. Um, and I hope that you saw that God's good design is that in his image, we are meant to exist as a community beings that have uncommon relationships. God, by the cross of Christ, is making a new community, namely the community of faith. And last week, I set the table for this message for us to unpack the idea, to, to, to unpack the question, what is, it, what is the mark of this new community? Like, what is it that, that distinguishes this community? You could quickly tell uh, who else belongs in a community by its mark. Um, if I yelled out, "Oorah!" That, that's a shout for the Marines, very good. There's a little, there's nuance to all these things, but very good. It's the Marine Corps. And it's sometimes like one guy last service was telling me, he's like, yeah, it means like a whole lot of things. It means like, hello. It means like, let's go. It means like, we're ready. It means like, let's win. Hoorah. Or if I said the most annoying thing in the world is O-H. I, oh, yeah, right. We live closer to Michigan, so you all love Michigan State. And it's fine. But you can always tell where, where there's someone who... Is a butt guy because they shout it out to each other. It's the mark of their community. If I, if I, um, if I said uh, this, you know, we are of the people, by the people, and for the people, that is the mark of the, the government, right? American democracy. If you didn't know that, welcome to America. It's great. <laughs> we have a voice. Or uh, maybe a little less huge, but still nonetheless important, um, Whose motto is be prepared? The Boy Scouts, right? Like you, know, you know the mark of the Boy Scouts by their command. Be prepared. And um, it's not really a strange thing for communities to have a mark or a distinguishing call in their first command. Which makes us ask the question, what is our first command? What is our mark as, as believers? What, what is our command? What, what makes us distinguishing in the world? And uh, how do we as a Christian community separate ourselves? And s- some people like to say, well, it's obvious, isn't it? Isn't it in the name? We're not just a community. We're a Christian community. And uh, like, that's great. But it's one of those things where it's like, uh, it doesn't help anybody. Because <laughs> what does it mean to be Christian? Some people think, well, I wake up early in the mornings and I put on my coffee and I get my Bible and a moleskin journal and I Read the word and I, I, I get challenged by God's word. That's what it means to be a Christian. And others say, well, well, I'm here on a Sunday. I've done this for my whole life. This is an important thing to me. Obviously, this is the gathering of God's people is an important thing. So isn't, is this what makes us the distinguished among the world? And I would just submit to you that many good disciplines are found outside of the church. Many good communities gather together with frequency. Many communities encourage the individual life of the person to be different. So at some level, that, all those ideas fall short. Those are great things. Those are the things that I aspire to. But, but there has to be a deeper value, a deeper ethic, a deeper foundation than these things. And certainly there is. See, the new community that Jesus is creating in his death, in his life, in his death on the cross, and in his resurrection, it's 
It's a community that is marked by something so simple but so misunderstood. It's, it's a community that is so based around something so basic but so profound. It's something talked about so often but practiced rarely. It's that we would be an uncommon community made up of uncommon relationships marked by uncommon love. Uncommon love. It's the title of the message that we have today. Would you say that just with me? Uncommon love. You didn't say it with me. That's okay. Uncommon love. That, that's what we're talking about today. This is the, I want to help you see, this is the distinguishing mark of the Christian community. I want to suggest that our uncommon God calls us to a love that excels far beyond any other form of love on earth. So to, to help with this, I want to just lead you to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. If you have your Bible, you can open up to John 13 or a phone. You can just type it into Google. It'll come right up. Uh, John 13, 34, 35. And Jesus, in John, is, um, it's important to know what's going on here. He is, he's giving his um, last words to his disciples. So much in the Gospel of John is about Jesus' ministry, but then way more, it seems like, is about the last couple of hours of Jesus' life on earth and the things that he said and, and how he encouraged his disciples to be. And these are the last words of Christ, so to speak, that we read on the night that Jesus was betrayed in verse 34. So read with me. Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you. That's interesting. We ought to perk up. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have, say it with me, love for one another. But when we talk about love, we have to overcome our familiarity with the subject matter. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we almost have lost the meaning inside this word and we have to define our terms. What exactly is love? What, what is Christian love like? We use the word love today loosely. Like if we were literalistic people, we wouldn't use the word love the way we use it. I love my car. I love Fridays. I love burgers. I love it. Is that too soon? No one got that. That's great. Love in music it, uh, it gives us the sense that we're all looking for feelings that I've never felt before. Love in movies gives a picture of love that is just overtly physical. Love in the grocery store checkout lines is all about who's dating who. Love is still what great movies are based upon. In uh, the epic classic from 2012, Frozen, greatest movie of all time, we remember that only an act of true love will melt a frozen heart. I mean, come on. And all of us know how the story of the Titanic ends. And yet we suffered through three hours of the movie. Why? Because Jack and Rose had something special. Love flows in many directions. It flows from spouse to spouse, from kids to parents, from parents to kids, from boyfriend to girlfriend, from friend to friend even. Love is a high ideal. You probably believe in love. In the romantic sense, in the familial sense, in the altruistic sense of the word. And probably you believe in the gospel sense. So when we come to Jesus' words in John 13, we, we let them sink in for a moment and for good reason. They cast a vision for the community of Jesus' followers as we move forward into the future. This is a new commandment. Jesus calls it. 
And so we do well uh, to look at this passage on three different levels. And this is just my outline right here, where I want to take us today. I want to look at first the command itself. Second, the power for that command. And then finally, love's full reward. That's where we're going to go today. And again, I have actually nothing but very simple observations about this text. But I believe that um, they cast for us an incredibly profound vision for what what our church could look like. So the first thing's first, the command itself. The command itself. The command is love. If you take notes, it's so simple, but just jot that down. The command is love. I don't know if you've uh, ever parented kids or been in charge of a group and try to just spur them on to love one another. You've got kids in the backseat of the car who are punching each other, and you think as a parent, I just wish you would love each other. Just love each other already. And as a parent, how difficult it is to say, you know, love now. <laughs> because uh, that Beatles song, remember, you can't buy me love. There's something about love that, that, that is, is, is intrinsically elusive from a command or from force and coercion. This is odd because you can't legislate love. It's only love if it's volitional love. You can't force love. That's super creepy. And here we see Jesus sets up a whole statement, though, with these words, a new command I give to you. So Jesus is saying, hey, this is a really big deal to me. I really mean this. Don't miss this. Here's something really, 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 really important to me, this whole plan that I expect you to do. But it's odd on another level as well because um, this actually isn't a new command. Like, like th- this has been said before, even in the Bible. In, in Leviticus chapter 19, God had long commanded the Israelites to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're familiar with any of the stories of Jesus, we know that he knows the Bible. I mean, he quotes Genesis or Leviticus 19 and 20 and other places make his point. We, we know he's not making a mistake by saying, hey, this is a new command. But instead, what is he doing? How can you command this and why is it not new? What are you talking about, Jesus. See, see, Jesus was not setting aside the Old Testament law. He wasn't replacing it with something different. He was actually giving shape and expression to the old law in a way that was fundamentally new for us to experience it. Jesus was taking this concept of Old Testament love, of love your neighbor as yourself, which in its day was a progressive ethic. You didn't actually love other people as yourself. You loved yourself. And he's saying, no, no, if you thought that was a new idea, hey, check this out. When, when the kingdom of God comes with this new community, it's going to be a community that's marked by even more radical of love. See, in the Old Testament, love was given in the amount that it was received. And actually, isn't that how our world works today? Like, like we give love in what we get. There's a give and take to it. Actually, today, we understand love. We call it mutual love. Whenever I officiate a wedding, I stand before a bride and a groom, and they're giddy and all excited and whatnot, and I say, do you vow to cherish and esteem a mutual love and respect? And one person says, I do. The other person has to say, I do. Otherwise, the whole thing's blown up. No stories from your life there. Love implies that I'm going to honor you and give you my respect in return. You will honor me and give you your respect. 
And this is the world's way that love works. It's, it's when love ceases to be reciprocal. When love, stops, when love stops coming at us, we often stop giving it because what's the point? They're not giving it back. And you've fallen out of love. You end the relationship. You blow something up. Here's um, one way that this understanding of love has played itself out in our country. Uh, back in the 1960s, which I wasn't around for, but there's YouTube videos. Back in the 1960s, one of the core arguments of the civil rights movement was that um, the love that our black brothers and sisters were experiencing was not, in fact, mutual love in society. The experience, by and large, was rather an experience of single-sided privilege based upon skin color. And those of you who are around and you remember this, uh, riots turned nasty, war broke out in Vietnam, and the cry across all college campuses seemed to be, peace and love. You have to say it like that, because that's how I imagine they all said it. What was that cry? That cry is a cry for coexistence with mutual respect. But people differed in their opinions on how to come to this mutual love in our society. You might be familiar with Malcolm X. He argued for violence in a world where whites no longer oppress blacks, but instead blacks could take control of the power centers in American society. And in opposition to that, Martin Luther King Jr., one of the greatest preachers, pastors in the 20th century, he decided to look at the life of Jesus and the command of Jesus. And he saw the ethic of mutual love realized in the commands of Jesus that, that he wasn't just calling us to a mutual reciprocal expression of love. Instead, Jesus was actually calling us to something deeper than that, something greater than that, a love that goes one step beyond mutuality to a new expression of love that, quite frankly, boggles the mind. And to understand this love that Jesus talks about in John 13, verses 34 and 35, we actually have to start at the beginning of John chapter 13. We have to back up a couple of verses. So just flip up in your, in your scripture to uh, John 13, verse 2. We see the story that this command is set within the context. It says this, During supper, when the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus' command to love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. It's an it's a expression of love that is brand new amongst his followers because he was building a new community built on a new expression. Not just the expression of mutuality, but rather this one astonishing act right here, washing the disciples' feet. And check this out. Like there's, no, there's no way around this, right? This act by Jesus is a little weird. It's just a little creepy. Like, like to wash each other's feet, that's a little bit too much in our business. Like the thought of us doing that to each other, that's kind of like, Ugh. some of you would blush. Some of you would be like, heck no, I'm out of this church. I'm going down the road. I'll become Catholic if I have to. And uh, it's not that weird, actually. So if you come over to my house, um, when, uh, when you do, many of you have been kind enough to offer to take your shoes off every single time this happens. 
And um, it's really polite of you all, but honestly, I've got toddlers, so what's the point? I mean, the carpet's trash, like it doesn't matter, like you just can join the parade of dirt that's coming into my house, and we'll figure that out later. But you always ask, it's a societal custom, it's a norm, you, you offer to take your shoes off in other people's houses, and so I let you, and you don't think twice about it. And in Jesus' day, uh, closed-toed shoes were around, but they weren't kind of like what you think, they were literally like strips of well-wrapped leather. And so dust from the roads would get on them. And if you've ever, um, some of you bicycle to work, and if you have to bicycle a long way, you get really sweaty. And all you want to do when you get to your desk is not sit there in your own sort of drippiness, but you want to towel off, right? And um, just the same, you'd go to someone's house, and you'd be carrying all this dust from the day, and you'd be like, this is kind of gross. I don't want to bring this into your house. Can I towel off? And Sitting at the front door to these homes in this day was, I mean, Joanna Gaines would turn it into a locker, but it was really just a bench with a little bowl and a a bowl of water and a towel. And oftentimes, servants would be there to help their distinguished guests come in. You see, if you were in a situation in someone's home and someone of greater social status walked into the house, you, as someone who was of lesser social status, were obligated to wash their feet, to at least offer to wash their feet. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign of welcome. It was a sign of of love in this day. And so Jesus, seeing his opportunity to love his disciples in a radically new way that would serve the point, decides, even though he is the greater, he decides to serve the lessers. Now you understand why Peter then, one of the disciples, was a little thrown off by this. Look at what he says in verse 6. It says, he came to Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And then verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, And resumed his place, he had said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and yet and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I've done. Well, what makes this This model so uncommon of love, well, the model is is Christ. What what makes this expression of love uncommon? It's it's very simple. It's modeled by Jesus. That's the second thing I have today. So this is modeled by Jesus. This this, this love is not just told to us. It actually does it. We're given a very clear example by Jesus on how to carry out this command. And he says, I have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Which is why on your way out, we're going to ask all of you to take your shoes off and go to the pedicure stations that are out in the... Lo- I'm totally kidding. Some of you are like, I sna- you snapped my picture last week? That's a little too far. And now taking my shoes off? Uh, Jesus commands that we would wash each other's feet. What does that mean? Um, I think it's okay that we have these services where we wash each other's feet. I know in Christian circles, sometimes small groups will do this, or a marriage in a wedding ceremony, a couple will wash each other's feet as an act of symbolism of, of, of this love. But Jesus is not being literalistic here. <laughs> if the mark of the Christian community was foot washing, we would be in big trouble, because when was the last time you did it? No, actually, we need to take this all in context and see what Christ is doing to see the mark of this uncommon love. 
First of all, we see that it's modeled by Jesus primarily as service to one another. Jesus, the master, he foregoes his authority as leader of the group to humble himself to the place of a servant. And this is why Peter is so indignant. This doesn't seem right, Jesus. Common love tells me that I ought to be washing your feet as an act of reciprocal love. You've done so much for me as my master. I ought to be serving you. I owe this to you deserve for me to do this for you. But the model of Christian love has always been one of condescension, of Jesus coming down from his high place to a lowly place. Here is the one, if you think about this sort of theologically for a second, here we see Jesus at the feet of his disciples, the almighty creator of the universe, the one who formed mankind out of the dust. And here when humans have dust on their feet, not only is he the one that is going to serve them, but he's the one that knows how the dust at an atomic level gets onto the feet and attaches so much and why the properties of water are such that they can wash away the dust from the feet. I know, that's... And yet, from his high position of of power and authority, he serves. He humbly serves. Common love tells us that we get what we give. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm here actually to, to just help you. And we would be inspired by Jesus, surely, if that's all that happened in this text. If all that happened was that Jesus washed the disciples' feet and by extension said, hey, look at what I've done. I've washed all of your feet. We'd all be like, wow, Jesus loves us so much that he washed our feet. That's amazing. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Jesus says, so also you must do likewise. You also must serve one another. You also must make yourself lower. And this is surely what our Lord did for us. Paul says that Christ, though he was God, emptied himself to take the form of a servant, being humbled even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus in John 15, you don't have to turn there, I'll just put it on the screen. He says it this way. A little bit later that same night that this happened, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And again, we see the command is love and the model is Jesus, but in this we see that he models his love not just through service, but also through sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. See, common love says, you give what you're gonna get and Jesus says, I'm I'm giving you all that I have. Common love says, spend time with those who can give you something and Jesus says, love is not love that does not itself give. Common love says, make me richer, fill me up, I'm the end game here. And Jesus says, let me make you richer. Let me pour out myself. You're the end game here. And we don't see this any more clearly in the scriptures. This is, foot washing is, example is a great one, but it ultimately is, 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 a, is, a, is a shadow of what is to come just hours later in Jesus' life and his death on the cross. We see Jesus sacrificing out of love for his disciples on the cross. That though Jesus had all the power, he willingly laid down his life and he sacrificed himself so that those who were poor could become rich and those who were oppressed could be set free and so that those who were enslaved in sin could be liberated to life. 
And we see so clearly by Jesus' model of love through his service and his sacrifice how we ought to also love one another. But it's at this point, whenever preachers talk about the cross of Jesus as the example for us to live our lives in self-sacrifice, that actually I get a little bit nervous. I agree. This is our example. But preachers for decades now have used this idea to justify the most heinous of crimes and the most heinous of abuse. And at some point, if we want to exercise love in our church, we have to wrestle with this question, why is Jesus' death on the cross different from being abused? Some theologians say this is ultimate cosmic child abuse. Like, how could God the Father kill his own son on a cross? That sounds like that's not a loving father. And likewise, so many counselors have, in their desire to be biblical, have not been Christian. And they've encouraged both men and women to remain in abusive relationships where their safety was at risk. See, we forget that on the cross, Jesus was no victim. We forget that on the cross, though he was dying, he still had all the power. We forget that it was not an an accident that he went to the cross, but he willfully laid down his life for the sake of others. And though he was condemned to die, Jesus still had all the authority. And he laid down his life for his friends on his own volition. You see, we, we, we make this mistake in our lives, and I'm going to try and explain this as best as I can. We make this mistake in our lives when we think that power in a relationship is a closed system. That is to say, maybe power has a hundred units of power within any given relationship. And what do we do in our mutual love to one another? We actually are trying to grab all the power, aren't we? And so it works out this way. You build a friendship with somebody or you're in a job where you want to get a little bit of information or a leg up on someone. So you invite one of their other friends out to coffee and you say, hey, what can you tell me about Joe? Like, like, like what do you know? What happened? What, what can I... And, and all of a sudden, they tell you, well, Joe, Joe had an affair. Joe's a bad guy. You shouldn't, you shouldn't hang out with Joe. And all of a sudden, you're like stealing power from Joe. You feel like I've got the power now. I know this thing about you. I've got this in me. And so you take that power and you lord it over the other person and you suppress them. You alienate Joe. You, you keep him away. You try actually to use Joe's secret as something to profit yourself by. And in your mind, you're thinking, I've got this thing from Joe. It's lessened his power. We can't see it this way, though, because the example of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is one that on the cross was hanging the one with all of the power, and he died. And guess what happened to his power? It remained. That in this self-sacrificial love, Jesus, because he was the one with power, he died for those who had no power. And in doing so, he was empowering those, and truly it's all of us who are enslaved in sin, to have this new life. And so we see in Christ not this mutuality of power or the share of power or, or Jesus trying to grab all the power and keeping everybody else out. But, but we see this, when you as someone with power reach down to help someone without power, you don't ever lose power. One of my um, favorite coworkers, who I don't get to work with anymore, but I would walk into his office, and on the wall was a like um, 
you know, my kids would have made this. It's, it's like one of those wall, uh, uh, watercolor paintings of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But the tagline says, though he was on his hands and knees, everyone knew that he was the leader. And Jesus models for us something that we're so afraid of. Is that how could I serve others? How could I sacrifice for others? That's going to cost me so much. And oftentimes in abusive relationships, one spouse has been taking all the power and squelching the other. And the other person says, well, I'm sacrificing for them. I'm sacrificing for them. I'm sacrificing for them. And the reality is what needs to happen is the one with all the power needs to sacrifice. That's why it's different. You, you don't need to put yourself in the gauntlet all day long if you're in an abusive relationship. That is not Christian love. Instead, Christian love is this, that if you're a boss and, and you have people who report to you, one of the greatest things that you could do to show them the love of Jesus is to serve them. Don't use them as heads to climb over on your way up the corporate ladder. Don't, don't use them as, as people to do your bidding and get your stuff done to make you look better. But instead, to get on your hands and knees and say, how can I serve you? How can I make your job better? How can I work together with you? In the corporate world, this makes no sense. You say, well, if I as the leader stoop down to do jobs with my people, I'm going to lose authority. And yet that is not what happens to Jesus at all, is it? He on the cross, the one with all authority, gives up his life. And all he does is he says, all authority is in, in heaven and earth has been given unto me, so therefore I send you out. You see, when we live with Christian love, the power is not a closed circuit. Actually, when you give your life, those with a hundred power, I don't know if that's a thing, there's a hundred power, lift up the oppressed. And they don't take power away, but actually it all works together. You've heard that illustration of how many pounds an ox can pull by himself, herself, itself. 2,000 pounds one ox can do alone. But if you yoke them together, two oxen that can do 2,000 pounds apiece, they actually can do way more than they could even together. It's, it's, it's 8,000 pounds. It's not just adding. It's, 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 it's multiplying. And the same thing goes with Christian love. We, when we love one another and we serve and we sacrifice for one another, are empowering the community of faith. And people see Jesus liberating people from sin, from, from bondage, from decay. And it takes sacrifice. Uncommon love is a love that gives up much for the good of others. And surely we all agree that when we serve one another with the heart of Christ and when we sacrifice with the heart of Christ, we cannot do so without a sense of selflessness. The Apostle Paul, seeking to explain this to the church in Rome, uh, showed how this thing worked. He wrote this, he said in Romans 13, 8, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 500 years ago, there was a guy named Martin Luther who tried to summarize this in, in some understandable words, and he says this, as Christians, we do not seek our own advantage. What does it mean for us to be selfless in love? It means that we don't do anything out of our own selfish ambition. Love that angles or jockeys for position is not love. That's not at all how love works. It requires service, doing for the other, being with the other, knowing the needs of the other. 
It requires sacrifice, taking what you have and, and giving up your goods and laying down your ambitions and your preferences and even your prerogatives. And in doing so, without any other gain than the welfare of the other in mind. So like if you join the community here at Bethel because you want to find some more sales leads, you are not being loving. And if ever we find our motivation to serve and to sacrifice is based out of the applause that other people are going to do to say, hey, look at me, I did it just like Jesus. Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that? You're not selflessly serving. You're, you're actually unloving. Which brings me to the final observation I have about this passage in John 13. And I think Martin Luther King Jr. got this whole thing right. He envisioned a community built upon the uncommon love of Jesus, one in which mutual love was achieved paradoxically by self-sacrifice and service. And isn't it true that the fruit of love is reconciliation, a work that is so foreign to our world, so unlike anything capable in this world today apart from the work of God, that wherever you see reconciliation, you see the love of God. And this is, this is the point, this is my last point, is that the effect of this love is evangelism. The effect of this love is sharing with the world what Jesus looks like. Back quickly before we close to John 13, 34, 35. Jesus says, a new command I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then check this out. By this, how many people? All people. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so this means this. We, we image Jesus in the world when we love one another. What's amazing about this is that Jesus knew the world after his resurrection was not going to be hospitable to his followers. That the world was going to hate them. So the question Jesus is asking here is, how do you defeat hate? By self-sacrificial love. And how do you show what God is like to people who hate his followers? With a love that gives without expecting anything in return. And how do you call those people out of their own selfishness and into following Jesus in the community of faith? Well, it's all the same. It's by a self-sacrificial love. See, when, when people who have been served by Jesus serve like Jesus, the world sees Jesus. And when people who, who have been loved by Jesus love like Jesus, the world sees Jesus. And they'll join him. So we see this as we close today. In the world of common gods, we have an uncommon God who created us to reflect his image, an uncommon community characterized by uncommon love, which makes us ask the very, very, very basic question, how do I actually practice this love like Jesus? And that's the topic of conversation for next week. So you have to come back. But wait, there's more. Today, though, Today, we have to shape our imagination and our desires to be subservient to that of Christ, the way that he loved us. Truth be told, I had every intention um, today as I was praying about this series in July and what that would look like for our campus, using this as a time for us to really get our, 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 ourselves pointed in the same direction. And I thought, man, talking about love is going to be great because um, 
I'm going to have an opportunity at the end of it to say, well, one of the greatest ways that you can do this is to get into a small group and to, to, to really get to know people. And it's just a community where you have to, 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 to love one another. You have to be in community. And it's like we see that in our small groups time and time again. And um, I just I, I felt a little convicted this week that maybe now's not the time to really, like, really push that button. It's coming. Don't get me wrong. I will stand up here shortly and say you should be in a small group. But maybe not today. Instead, I, as I was writing this, I, I just felt the pressing of the Spirit. Isn't it funny how you can pray about something and think that you're going in one direction and then God will be like, no, 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 you should, you should instead talk this way. And so I felt the pressing of the Spirit as I was thinking about how many people in this community have experienced this love already. And so in a matter of maybe like 12 seconds, I shout out a couple emails to some people that are in our church, and I just asked this basic question. Is there a time that you ever felt the love of Christ here in this community? And um, my favorite moments this week, I had kind of a, a rough week. My favorite moments this week were just reading these emails through, and I thought, these are too good not to share with you. So just letters from our own community. One, one couple wrote this in. So being a part of this community has been a, a huge act of love for us this year. As we have been fairly new and not made deep connections to anyone quite yet, we experienced the love of the hands and feet of Jesus here, here at HP, when we suddenly found ourselves losing our daughter mid-pregnancy and then giving birth to her in January. Through the trenches of grief, we have had people stop us in the halls to tell us that they're praying for us, even people we didn't know. More meals than we could ever need and just shoulders to cry on when it was too hard to be around a lot of people. And through our darkest hour, we have seen the love of Christ tenfold in this church. And although a church is a place of imperfect people, it showed us the perfect love of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Another family wrote this in. They said, we had, we had, had a seemingly irreparably broken marriage for several years our previous church offered biblical teaching, but no real human support for us as we struggled with this. In fact, it seemed to be one of the several reasons that we were treated as outsiders and kept at arm's length. We did make progress together through God's grace, but we were greatly discouraged by the lack of compassion. And after attending Bethel HP, we received counseling and we were encouraged by one of the leaders to share a story with another couple in the church, to share our story. And this couple was very kind and understanding. They opened their hearts and their lives to us, and we finally, finally found Christian friends who were willing to go deeper than superficial platitudes to discuss the messy, imperfect reality of Christian lives and marriages. It was a great blessing to have brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to encourage us and to keep us accountable with specifics, struggles, and triumphs. Amen, right? Finally, one last encouragement. One, one, one family said this, being part of the Bethel community in HP has been an extremely rewarding experience. As longtime members of Central, we were wary of the people coming from that big church, but those fears were unfounded. We have met so many people who love Christ here. These are people who want to be obedient and closer to him and spend time studying his word. We are in a small group compromised of a few former Centralites and a few original Bethelonians, and we all keep each other accountable for what we do and get along like we've known each other for our entire lives. Listen, that's just, that's just one quick email that said, hey, do you have any stories of how the community, when we act in love, really builds itself up? 
And I look around this room and I know stories of how you have served and sacrificed and been selfless for one another. And there's so many things that we as a church could do. And we could do them with excellence. We could do them well. We could do them to to the best in the region of how we do whatever we do. But if we do not love one another, if we do not necessarily take a step back in our own prerogatives and find those without power to give them help and to lift them up, if we do not take seriously the call of Christ, nothing will matter. But if we do, you know what we don't have to do? We don't have to do Christian bridge club. We don't have to have a Christian swim team. We don't have to have a a Christian basketball league. No. Because if we love, love one another, all of our evangelistic efforts are seen by all people. And our church becomes all that God made it to be. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a message with clear logic but hard implications. God, this means that really in our world that teaches us to love ourselves, we actually have to deny that. God, this, this means that looking to you as our example is going to cost us way more than we thought it would. This means that in our families, serving one another needs to be one of humility and not of a power grab. Father, all of this, though, honors and pleases you. And so we ask, God, that we could defend the cause of the weak and those who are fatherless and orphaned. Father, we ask that you would help us see the needs that are around us and in Christian love meet those needs. Father, help us and forgive us for thinking so much about ourselves. Thank you that you didn't have our similar ethic, but you call us to a higher standard, a higher call, not just of receiving what we give or giving what we receive, but giving like you gave. We want to do this all in your power and in your name. Father, today as we go, our benediction, we, we read from Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 and 38, that we shall love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our souls and all of our mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself.